welcome to our service of worship uh, today, which is of course overshadowed by the loss of our beloved Queen on Thursday. You will know, I'm sure, if you've been watching any of the documentaries uh, about her over the last few days, uh, that our Queen had a great sense of humour and she will no doubt have a wee smile on her face knowing that the organ at Bulhelvy Church packed in at 10 to 11 this morning. So Alan is coping uh, admirably on the piano today and our thanks to Alan for adjusting at short notice. But today and next Sunday we're going to be reflecting on the Queen's life together as we worship. Uh, this morning the first half of the service will be given over to remembrance and we'll have some of Her Late Majesty's favourite hymns as well as videos and prayers to help reflect on her reign. And we will end this morning by standing silently as the national anthem is played after the benediction. The apostle says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. We worship God in the words of our opening hymn, The Lord's My Shepherd.
I just check that you're hearing me okay? Thank you. Let's continue our worship as we pray together. Let us pray. Listen to me, you that pursue righteousness, you that seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn and to the quarry from which you were dug. We do indeed look to you, Almighty Father. You are the Lord who is beyond time and change. Through all the myriad courses of history, you have been the one constant that has enabled our wayward humanity to follow a safe pathway. And as we think of our native land and the twists and spirals of its journey to this hour, we are grateful for your care and endless benevolence. And bright among the shine of your blessings through so many years has been the presence of our late Queen Elizabeth. So this time of loss touches us deeply. And with our sadness, uncertainty comes to snap at our heels. But then comes your word, calling us to stand fast in the faith that our Queen knew and which sustained her through all her days. And so we turn to it, knowing well that it will uphold and nourish us through this time. Forgive us if we ever forget ourselves and look to another rock than you, or another quarry from which to draw our security. For in you alone is our hope. From you alone is our comfort. Through you alone is our nation made whole and strong. And by you alone is our future made secure. And so we make our prayers through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Saviour and our Servant King. And in his name we pray together saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. We're now going to take a few moments just to watch a short video reminding us of Her Majesty's remarkable reign. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service.
Outside the palace, a hundred thousand people surged forward in a solid mass. They wanted Elizabeth. They wanted Philip. you now as your queen and as a grandmother I say from my heart first I want to pay tribute to Diana myself with the benefit of historical hindsight we can all see things which we would wish had been done differently or not at all sadden or captivate us. Kennedy's assassination, the moon landings, the death of Diana, 9-11, and now the death of the Queen. Somewhat ironically, I heard the news of the Queen's demise as I was driving home from a funeral visit on Thursday evening. And like many of you, I'd heard the announcement of her illness earlier in the day, but I don't think many of us were expecting the end to come quite so soon. It was a strange evening. I don't know whether it was my imagination or not, but there seemed to be an unusual hush about the parish in the wake of this news. And it reminded me of the evening that lockdown was announced in 2020, something Momentous was happening, something that affected all of us deeply and maybe even reminded us of our own mortality. Like many of you, we watched some of the coverage on television, the live footage and the documentaries remembering the Queen's remarkable life and service. And we'll think more about that uh, next Sunday morning. But what a life it was. Among the many stunning statistics, this was a monarch 
who received 14 American presidents and 15 prime ministers in her lifetime. Winston Churchill, the first, was born in 1874. Liz Truss, the most recent, in 1975, more than a hundred years apart. In the House of Commons this week, Theresa May gave a wonderful tribute to Her Late Majesty, saying that all of, the, of all the significant people that she had met in her role as Prime Minister, there was no question in her mind that Queen Elizabeth had been the most remarkable. Why though? What set her apart? Well, Her Majesty herself quietly told us. Every year she visited us in our living rooms at Christmas time. And in a tight script of 750 words, her own words, she would share her reflections on the year that had passed and offer hope for the year to come. And those hopes for herself, for her people, for her country and her commonwealth were firmly based on the life and the teachings of Jesus Christ. Her Majesty never preached as a monarch over people of many different faiths and none. That wasn't her place. She never preached, but she witnessed. She gently shared the difference that her faith made to her and her firm belief that this message has the power to change life and indeed work the world for the better. And what she communicated with her words, she reinforced with her actions. What a blessing it has been for us these last 70 years to have a monarch who's patterned her style of leadership on a servant king, giving her life away in costly service so that she might be in turn a blessing to others. For her, service and love were bound together. Our call, indeed our responsibility to serve, should lead us to love and to help our neighbour selflessly. That was the keynote of her reign. It was what she highlighted in the teaching and life of Christ, what she called others to and what she herself aspired to be. She knew that we aren't just saved by faith. We are called to live by faith. And that she did with great resolve and dedication. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. That's the promise that we saw in the video a moment or two ago, the promise that she made to the nation and the Commonwealth on her 21st birthday. What a tender age to take that responsibility on your young shoulders. But 74 years later, she returned to that same theme in her short Platinum Jubilee letter, opening her final paragraph with these words. And so I look forward to continuing to serve you 
with all my heart. And she ended the letter with the most concise of self-descriptions. Your servant, Elizabeth R. By choice and by conviction, Elizabeth ruled as a servant queen, using her privilege and her position selflessly to help further the cause of compassion, reconciliation and friendship on the global stage. The writer Mark Green says, there's much that we didn't know about the Queen's faith, but what we do know is this, it was rich, it was alive, it was constant, it was prayerful, it was biblical, and it was Christ-centered. It shaped her imagination and it enabled her to model gracious excellence in arguably the most public role in the world for over 70 years. And that faith, that living trust in Christ, impelled her to give credit to the Saviour whose servant heart and servant example she sought to emulate in everything she did. We give God thanks for Queen Elizabeth's long life her trusting faith and her remarkable service. May she rest in peace and rise in glory. Amen. Our next hymn picks up on the, that theme of the servant heart of the Lord that Her Late Majesty sought to emulate as Queen. It's called Meekness and majesty.
We're now going to join in a prayer that's being shared across the Church of Scotland this morning, and it's led by our moderator, the Right Reverend Dr. Ian Greensheets. I recently had the privilege and honour of staying at Balmoral and spending time with Her Majesty the Queen. She was in good spirits, full of fun and strong in faith, a genuinely remarkable lady. This is a time of grief and thanksgiving for a life well and purposefully lived. Her family are in pain and sorrow, and I know they will value our prayers for them. Let us pray. Gracious and good Father, full of love and peace, you are from everlasting to everlasting, ever good and ever true. Your greatest gift to us is eternal life, and in this hope we place our trust. Today we give thanks for the life of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, who has now entered fully into the promise in which she believed. Long has she reigned over us, offering support and courage, a steadying hand in difficult days, and a kindly presence in times of peace and prosperity. We thank you for our life, so rich in years and in service, for our unwavering commitment to country, commonwealth, and every generation. For our trust in Jesus Christ, our devotion to the church, and our respect for other faiths, receive our thanks today. May she rest in peace as she enters fully into your promise. In their loss, comfort our family, especially our King as he assumes his new responsibilities. Assure them of your presence and peace, granting to them the consolation of cherished memories and the hope of your promised kingdom. And these prayers we offer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We'll uh, think some more about uh, Her Majesty and her remarkable life and the foundations upon which she built that life uh, next Sunday morning. We're going to have our reading now. It's uh, Luke chapter 15 and verses 1 to 10. And Marco Val is going to read for us. Luke chapter 15. The parable of the lost sheep, followed by the parable of the lost coin. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. 
And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Amen. Thanks, Mark. Our next hymn is number 555, Amazing Grace.
Let's take a moment to pray together now. Let us pray. His grace has brought me safe thus far. And grace will lead me home. Father, we take a moment to recognise that deep and profound truth that we owe all that we are and all that we will be to your sovereign grace. Thank you, Lord, for your initiative in redemption. Thank you that you are saving all that you have made through Jesus Christ and his eternal work. His life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And for the reconciliation that that is bringing between humankind and a holy God. So we thank you for grace, Lord. And we ask that you would give us the grace of understanding this morning. That we will hear a word today that speaks to our hearts. And that helps them to come home to you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Those are words that all of us brought up within the church know well, having probably sung them from childhood. But when words become familiar, Maybe even beloved, we often stop thinking about them, what they mean. So let me start with a question. How does that once was lost, but now I'm found line sound to you? Is it true to your experience? Is lostness a thing of the past in your life? I believe that in Christ we are eternally found. In the here and now, there is still plenty of lostness to negotiate in life. Some of it chosen and some of it unchosen. Times like these recent days, when we may well feel adrift in the face of world events. Times when we feel alienated from God or from others, or even ourselves. Times when our own willfulness leaves us feeling alone and separated from the very one who gives us life. I was recalling, particularly in the light of the events of the last couple of days, Her Majesty's Christmas message in 1992. I'm sure you'll remember it. It was the year that there was a catastrophic fire in Windsor Castle and the same year that the marriages of three of her children uh, were dashed in the rocks. She called that year her Annus Horribilis, her horrible year, a year when it felt like everything was crashing down around her. Her status didn't protect her from troubles and times maybe of feeling lost. As Christians, our sense of lostness doesn't end when we come to faith. And that's a part of what Jesus, I think, is speaking into through the two parables that we're looking at today. 
As Luke sets the scene, Jesus is in trouble again. He's in trouble for hanging out with the wrong kinds of people. As all the tax collectors and sinners come near to listen to him, the Pharisees and the scribes begin to grumble. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus responds by telling the scandalized religious insiders two stories about lostness. And the first, the shepherd leaves his flock of 99 to look for a single lamb that's gone missing. And he searches it until he finds it. And when he does, he carries it home on his shoulders and invites his friends and neighbors over and throws a party to celebrate. And in the second story, a woman loses one of her 10 silver coins, coins that could well have been part of her ceremonial wedding headdress and that would have had a lot of sentimental value. So immediately she lights a lamp, she sweeps the entire house looking for this coin until she finds it and then like the shepherd she calls together her friends and neighbours and asks them to celebrate the recovery of this coin. Rejoice with me for I found the coin that I had lost. Now I and probably you grew up understanding that the lost coin and the lost lamb represented sinners somewhere out there beyond the church and alienated from God and that may well be the case. But when you read closely that's not all that the story suggests because the lost lamb belongs to the shepherd's flock from the very beginning of the story. It's his lamb and in the same way the coin and the second parable belongs to the woman before she loses it. The coin is one of her very own. In other words, these parables aren't just about lost outsiders finding salvation and becoming Christians. They're also about us, the insiders. The ones who already belong. The churchgoers, the bread and wine consumers, the Bible readers. These parables are also about lostness on the inside. Lostness happens to God's people too. By grace, through faith, we may have confidence in our eternal destination thanks to Christ. But that doesn't stop us getting lost now and again on the way there. We get lost over and over and over again. And God in his grace finds us over and over and over again. What does it mean to be lost? What am I talking about? Well, that can mean so many things. It can mean we lose our sense of belonging. We lose our capacity to trust. We lose our felt experience of God's presence. We lose our will to persevere. We lose our direction in life. Some of us find ourselves lost when illness descends in our lives and God's goodness starts to look not so good. Some of us get lost when death comes too soon and too suddenly for someone we love when we experience a crisis of faith that can leave us reeling. Some of us get lost when our marriages atrophy and maybe even die. Some of us get lost when our children break our hearts 
Some of us get lost in the throes of addiction, or anxiety, or lust, or unforgiveness, or hatred, or bitterness. Some of us get lost very close to home, within the walls of Mother Kirk. We get lost when prayer seems to rise no further than the ceiling. Or when the scriptures we once cherished seem dead on the page, when the narrow path of committed faith seems so steep and lonely that we find ourselves wondering if it's worth the effort at all. Even insiders can get lost. We can get so miserably lost that the shepherd has to wander through the craggy wilderness to find us. So completely lost that the housewife has to light her lamp, pick up her broom and sweep out every nook and cranny to discover what's become of us. And I think it's worth pausing there for a moment just to take in how astonishing that is that the God of the universe in these stories likens himself to this shepherd and this woman and likens us to something of worth that he desperately wants to find. In these stories, God searches, God persists, God refuses to give up. God wanders over hills and valleys for this lost lamb and turns the house upside down looking for this lost coin. And when God at last finds what's been lost, he invites the whole neighbourhood over and shares this happy news of recovery and throws a party to end all parties. Where is God in these stories? Not in the fold with the 99 who's still safe, not curled up on the couch, polishing the nine coins that she still has. God goes to where the lost things are. God goes to where the lost things are. And the good news today is that whatever our lostness looks like, God is intent on finding us there, searching high and low to gather us up and to bring us home. You know, in one sense, our lostness isn't a problem to God. Our unwillingness to admit that we are lost is a problem to God. Because who needs a saviour if you think you've got nothing to be saved from? That was the problem that the Pharisees had in Jesus' day. They were so convinced of their own righteousness that they didn't see themselves as part of the great community of the lost. They had done, maybe they would have been less quick to judge and condemn and separate and point the finger. Maybe they would have realized that we are all alike under sin and in need of God's mercy. Maybe they'd have been kinder. In her book, An Altar in the World, Barbara Brown Taylor argues that facing up to our lostness makes us stronger at the edges and 
and softer at the center. Kinder, in other words. Acknowledging the ways in which we are lost teaches us about vulnerability, about empathy, about humility, about patience. Owning the ways and the times in which we're lost not only shows us who we really are, it reminds us of who God really is. The God who tells us in Christ that his purpose in coming to the world was to seek and to save those who are lost. Which is, of course, everybody. The 13th century mystic and poet Rumi once said, What you seek is seeking you. And maybe there's truth in that. But the gospel has a still better word to say. It's saying that what I can't or won't seek is still seeking me. Regardless. God looks for us when our lostness is so profound we can't even pretend to look for God. But even in that bleak and hopeless place, God finds us. This is amazing grace. And it is ours in Christ. Amen. Anne Shiddon is going to come now and lead us in our prayers for Let us pray. Our Father God, who is an ever-present source of love and comfort, today we come before you as your humble servants out of love for those who have lost their faith, for those who have become consumed by the ravages of life and overwhelming concerns, and as a consequence have begun to stray from the path that you have prepared for us all. We ask that you intercede on their hearts as a shepherd looking for his lost sheep and restore their lost faith so that they can know your glory once again. You have never forsaken those who seek you. You have never let us down. We know that you will always be beside us and guide us when we come up against obstacles and hardships. Mould us into your image and hold us close to you. Show us how to mature as a Christian and be beside us in our journey to deepen our faith. Steady our trust in you so that it never wavers, as you did for Jesus and his disciples. Help us to carry your word to others. Make us one of your disciples as we go about our daily lives, helping others where we can, being more thoughtful and caring and putting out a hand of friendship. Today, on the anniversary of 9-11, we pray for those who were affected by the loss and trauma of such a terrorist activity. We pray that terrorism may become a thing of the past. 
We ask for your blessing on all those who are lonely, sad, and in despair. When we ask for your help, we know that we will hear you in our prayer. When we fail and turn away from you, you do not turn your back on us. When we worry about what is ahead of us, calm our fears with the knowledge that you go before us. We will never be alone because you are always there. You have promised that you will not fail us and you are faithful to keep your promises. Take away our fear and replace it with faith in your unending love. Today we pray especially for the people of Pakistan in the flooded areas that they will receive the help that they need. As we go now through the morning period, Lord, we pray that you will give us a deep sense of peace and reflection on the life and contribution of Queen Elizabeth, who during her 70 year long reign ruled with kindness and her faith in God. We ask for your blessing on her family, the nation and all who mourn her passing. May we take comfort in knowing that you have prepared a place for her. We ask for your blessing and guidance for our new king as he takes on his new role, supported by the Queen Consort. We pray for those facing hardship, poverty, poor physical and mental health, homelessness and addiction. We know that you understand their struggle. Help them to hear your word and to know your love. We ask for your blessing on all those who work to ease their plight. In prayer, your words bring hope and comfort. They remind us of your strength today and always. May we see glimpses of your glory and blessing along the way as we follow you. For salvation is found in you alone. We pray for our congregation, our minister Paul and his family. May your goodness and love follow us all the days of our lives and that we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Anna. Just before our, our last time, I should say that I, I know many of you may want to get back and uh, be watching uh, events on Holden Television, but there is a cup of tea or coffee after the service. If you want to wet your whistle before you go home, you'd be welcome to stay. But to close our service now in the words of hymn 159, Lord for the Years.
peace to love and to serve our servant king and the blessing of god almighty the father the son and the holy spirit be with you all now and forevermore Please be seated. 